Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode here on Blog Talk Radio of The Stoop. I am your host, Jonathan Raggis. Alongside me, as always, is the shark himself, Jeff Perini. What's going on, man? Oh, good to be here. Uh, from one shark to many shark fans out in California. Sorry about last night's results. Uh, I hate the Penguins with a passion. And uh, so I'm going to start off the show by telling uh, the Penguins fans out there how much I hate your team. Anyway, <laughs> TGIF, man. Thank God it's Monday. Here we are. <sighs> oh, man. You're something else, dude. You are something else, man. Yeah, well, we will get to that in a little yeah. bit. And we will talk about the Penguins winning the Stanley Cup. <laughs> But we have a show to talk about, man, and a show to do here, man. Um, first off, big apologies to our listeners tonight. Block Talk Radio, once again, as always, is taking a crap on us. Um, can't connect the way we usually connect. So if we're having a little bit of sound problems, um, we apologize. If I ask Jeff to repeat himself, I apologize because I'm already hard of hearing and it's hard to hear him tonight because of the way we're connected here. Um, so my apologies. What? What? Okay. <laughs> Uh, what? <laughs> okay. Yeah. We're off to a good start. We are, man. I can, I can barely hear you, man. This is terrible. That is crazy. I am uh, all set up as usual. The uh, microphone is on full blast, according to my uh, computer. And every time I talk, the signal goes all the way up. And uh, I don't know. Very confusing. And probably for the people oh. listening, you're probably too loud. Maybe. My face is... Eating the microphone. It's like actually yeah. in my throat. Although anyway. the guy, you don't want to say in your throat on the air. Sorry. <laughs> oh, my God, man. <laughs> Monday, All man. Right, man. Well, let's get into the actual show here. Um, we have good news and bad news. Good news is we were able to interview Dominic Pace for tonight's show. Bad news was it was last night, and it's not live tonight, but it was a great interview, and we're going to play that in just a little bit. Um, he had a, a job to do for a television show, so uh, unfortunately he couldn't join us tonight, but he joined us last night, and we had a lot of fun with Dominic, so we'll be uh, playing that interview in just a little bit. Uh, first, we want to thank last week's uh, guest, the original Gata, Monique Dupree, um, our Gata. We had a blast with her, Jeff, man. What a good time, man. Oh, she was great. As I always expected she would be. I said, I love her stuff. Love watching her uh, her videos and her Instagram and her Facebook. And uh, always seemed like a cool cat, if you will. And uh, she was awesome. Just love her to death, man. I, you know, I'm hoping to catch her in Philly, which comes in September. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, man. Let's jump right into some. Uh, actually, you know what? We'll do our top five list. And tonight, our top five list is a little bit in honor of our guest from tonight, which was really last night. Dominic Pace because he he seems to play a cop a lot. He just has that image. He's either a, a mafia bad guy or he's a cop or a detective. So uh, tonight's top five list, we're going to do a little bit different here. We're going to go with our top five favorite cop shows. Really looking forward to this one, man. It was fun doing this list, man. So Jeff, I like it. I like it a lot. Duty honors, right, man. Huh? Yeah, man. I'm ready to go. Top five. Uh, we're going to do a tie again at five. And two of my favorites as young kid. It's hard to pick one or the other. I'm going to go with uh, tie at number five, Adam 12. You still Great the old show. Adam 12? The old black and white uh, police cars, man. Uh, one of my favorites as a kid. That and SWAT. I used to love the show SWAT, man. I used to always pretend I was the characters. The dude with the hat on backwards, the sniper. And it was really a cool show. I remember back in the day, they used to have the different SWAT car toys and all, man. I was a big fan of SWAT and Adam 12 as a kid growing up. 
Uh, number four actually went with uh, reality TV with cops. Um, that's a great show. You, you get to see some live action stuff. Uh, I know some of it's, you know, pretty up for television, but still some neat stuff and some, some crazy stuff goes down on cops. So that definitely makes a list for me at number four. Number three, a show I always liked. Um, the franchise went nuts, but Law & Order, if you go with SVU, um, definitely just a, a really good one. Um, great acting. Uh, really riveting stories. They always leave you hanging at the end. You never really get a true finish. But um, I always Which one was that? Special, uh, special Victims Unit, SVU. Oh, SVU, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I always liked that one. Uh, number two, and this might get a chuckle from some Miami Vice. Nice. Um, at that age, my age, we were high school kids, or just before high school, and uh, Crockett and Tubbs were the two coolest dudes on earth, man. Um, driving a fancy car, owning uh, the streets of Miami, and all the hot chicks on there. It was a great, great show, man. I loved Miami Vice every Friday night, man, glued to the set. And number one for me, um, should have had all kind of range. One of the best cop shows in the history of television was uh, Hill Street Blues. Um, so much about it was good. It was smart. It was funny. It was deep. It had such a great range of characters. Everybody played their role. It went on for years. Won a lot of awards. Uh, and I always loved Hill Street. And I know it seemed weird. Again, I was a younger guy, more of a drama show. But I loved Hill Street Blues, man. It did a lot for me. And uh, that's it. It's my top five and uh, plus one uh, cop shows. All phenomenal, phenomenal shows. All right, man. I got to tie it. Five, two, first tie in a long time for me. Uh, number five, Cops, was just something I grew up watching and just always loved to watch it because it really just gave you an inside look at what cops go through um, and all the crap that they have to deal with. Uh, also, number five, sidekicks, Gil Gerard and Ernie Reyes Jr. Absolutely wow. loved that show. It was only on for one season. It was a spinoff um, to the Walt Disney one-time special, The Last Electric Night. Uh, it was a really cool show. I wish they would have did another season or two of it, but they didn't. And I wish they would at least play the reruns on TV, but I haven't seen that since I was a wee little lad. Number four, Sledgehammer. Do you remember Sledgehammer? Wow. Oh, yeah, Sledgehammer. Yep. That was a great Absolutely. show, man. That was funny. And when he whipped out that gunman with the hat, oh, man, that was that was such a great show. Love that show. Another show I wish they would play the reruns of. Um, number three, Chips. Eric Estrada, Ponch. Hey. Everybody knows Ponch and John, man. Yeah, still yeah. You were talking show. about that last night. Yeah, it's, it's a good show, man. I, I can still watch those reruns. And they're on all the time, man. Me TV get to watch them a lot, so it's good stuff. Uh, number two, love this show because it was shot around where I lived in Queens and Brooklyn. Um, got to go with New York Undercover, Malik Yoba, Michael DeLorenzo. Nice. Just a phenomenal show. It showed what was going on in the streets of uh, New York City. And just a really good show. And I think it was on for about four seasons and another show that uh, was probably before its uh, time and really sh- could have and should have lasted another couple of seasons, but a really great show. And number one, I got to go with 21 Jump Street. No kiddies, yeah. not the garbage you see in the movies with Seth, uh, not Seth Rogen. What's the, uh, what's that chubby guy's name? Oh, you put me on the spot and I forgot his name that fast. I just had That's him with uh, Channing Tatum and... Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill, the chubby know. kid. Not that crap you see in the movie theaters. I'm talking about the original 21 Jump Street with Johnny Depp, Dustin Nguyen, Peter Delvis, Holly Robinson, Pete. Oh. And don't forget, Sal Janko. 
Zaljanko is the man. And Steve I Williams is Captain Adam Fuller. Absolutely love that show. Dude, grew up on that show. To me, it was the best cop show because it was just a, a cool way they did it, man, where they went undercover into high schools, man. Just absolutely loved it, man. Very cool. I used to be a humongous Holly Robinson fan. I had the biggest crush on her back then. Loves her. Oh, loved Holly Who Robinson. did it? Everybody loved Holly Robinson, Pete, man. So did Rodney Pete. Uh, so did Rodney Pete. Rodney Pete. I blame him. Right, man, one I forgot. Um, oh, go ahead. What was that? And I'll tell you one, one that I uh, kind of forgot. I wanted to get it on the list, but the movies were better. Uh, and I'll get your opinion. Police Squad. I think the movies were better than the TV show. The TV show was good. You know, listen, man, and and it, and it sucks because now that I'm thinking about, it, I don't know how I left it off the list. It could have been on there. Dragnet was probably yeah. one of the best shows ever, man. I don't even know how the hell I forgot that one. Yes, I was looking at a. Uh, Look at a comedy. Like I said, I was kicking around Police Squad, but I thought the movies were so much better. Uh, Naked Gun movies were definitely better. Oh, than the Naked TV Gun show. movies were brilliant, man. Brilliant. They're still yeah. funny to this day, man. You can watch it and just laugh from beginning to end and like you've never seen it before. Yeah, it seemed funnier than the actual Police Squad TV show. It's maybe why I left it off the list. But yeah, Dragnet was, uh, was super back in the day, too. Joe Friday. All right, man. Let's jump into some PODs, points of discussion, before we get into our interview with our uh, guest, Dominic Pace. Um, first, we got to say our condolences, our prayers are with everybody in the LGBTQ community um, down in Orlando after the just disgusting, tragic murders of so many amazing people that were just having a good time. Um It it was a terrorist attack, whether it was uh, something ISIS-related or something non-ISIS related. It was a terrorist attack, no matter which way you look at it. And it's now the worst mass shooting in U.S. history. Uh, And and we've had so many over the the last bunch of years. And it's just my heart breaks for everybody uh, that's involved in this, the people that were injured, the people that were killed, the friends, the family that now have to cope with all of this, Jeff. And, uh, you know, the only thing I can, that I can say for myself is, um, you know, and the only thing I could do is pray, you know, pray for the, you know, pray for those people that died, pray for the people that are injured and still in the hospital for a speedy recovery, pray for the family and friends, uh, that are now coping with this man. Absolutely. Um, so many people on Facebook come out with their, uh, conspiracy theories and their theories of this and that, you know, leave it alone. Um, it's a tragedy. It's awful. It's disgusting. Pretty tired of seeing it going to my country. Um, but, you know, oh, gun control, no gun control. You're going to come up with a way to get illegal weapons. Don't tell me illegal weapons aren't out there in the street. And no, Donald Trump's not going to save the day. And Hillary Clinton's not going to save the day. This is a tragedy. Deal with that. Deal with, think about the people who are suffering loss. And just going through uh, social media yesterday, they got this new thing where people post, you know, I'm safe. You know, people are in Orlando. You know, they got to post the fact that they're safe, and that's just horrible. Uh, and, you know, families are worried that may have not heard from people that are down there in the last couple of days. So it's sick. It's a sick tragedy. It makes me sick to the stomach. And obviously we're here to bring current events and news. I'd rather not even talk about it because it gives this asshole and his family radio time when all he does is grabs a gun and starts shooting innocent people. Well, you know, I, I look at it where – you know, talking about it from the standpoint we talk about it is, is, is honoring the people that were just killed for no reason. 
for no reason whatsoever uh, to honor them, to honor their family, to honor their friends through just one of the worst things you could possibly go through in life. Uh, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking, man. It's, it's heartbreaking, um, you know, that that happened. And then we go over to that, uh, unbelievably tragic murder of, uh, Christina Grimmie, uh, from the voice, you know, just living her dream finally and being able to sign autographs and, and, you know, sell some of her merchandise to her fans and having a good time with them. And somebody for no reason whatsoever walks up to her, shoots and kills her and then shoots and takes his own life. Uh, she was only 22 years old. And, and you know, to me, it, it was shades of, um, you know, what happened to Dimebag Daryl and exactly. some of the security detail and some of the fans, uh, you know, at, at that Pantera concert. Uh, not, not Pantera. Yeah. Um, ah, man, what was the band that they were playing in at the time? I can't remember. Oh, that's going to bother me. <laughs> and I was a big fan of, you know, and, 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 and still am. I'm a huge fan of Dimebag Daryl. I'm a, you know, fan of... Uh, you know, Pantera and, uh, and damage plan. There you go. I just had to think about that. Um, and damage plan, um, you know, and, and of course what happened to Christina Grimmie, a lot of shades of that man. And, and it's disgusting that stuff like that can just happen with, with, with no reason. And that easily, man, um, to me, it's, you know, I, I don't think that certain people did a bad job of securing. I feel like when things don't happen for such a long time now, Sometimes people let their guard down um, when doing their job thinking, oh, you know, nothing's going to happen tonight, you know, because nothing's happened in the last such and such years. And I feel like these assholes just always find the right place to do it, and they see when people are dropping their guards, man. Yeah, it's um, – I thought of the Dimebag Daryl thing too right away, and the people to get either angry at celebrities or disgusted at celebrities, uh, one that always sticks to mind – and it just makes me think when you think about celebrity murder. I don't know if you remember uh, a show way back when called My Sister Sam, the young yes. girl named Rebecca Schaefer, beautiful young lady, uh, and just some crazy fan felt the need to go to her house and kill her for no reason whatsoever. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't get it. I mean, maybe because we're more of the same mind, uh, that we don't get why they do it. Um, I'd love to know why. I'd love to know what drives these people. And then the Cowards that they are, turn and take themselves out too. You know what? Just turn and take yourself out in the beginning and don't take out a bunch of innocent people having a good time, living a life and doing their thing. Just turn it on yourself if you're going to be that way and, and get it over with. It's sick yeah. of you to say, but you know what? I'd rather see one idiot take himself out than 50 innocent people at a club doing their thing. Can't say I don't agree because I agree wholeheartedly with that, man. Anyway, our thoughts, our prayers, our our hearts go out to the people of Orlando, uh, the family and friends, uh, you know, coping with this tragedy, and also the family and friends of uh, Christina Grimmie. Um, sad stuff, sad stuff. Also, um, you know, somebody else, you know, we, we grew up around, man, uh, Mishu Mazaros, you know, from Big Top Pee Wee, man, and the, the guy who was yeah. in the ALF costume, uh, you know, died today at 76 years old, was, was in coma for the last few days. Uh Another guy that we grew up on, man, is is, is now gone as well. So, uh, you know, but good for him. Seventy six years old. Um, he was only two foot nine. Um, he lived a good life. It's just a you know shame that he had to pretty much uh, die alone. Um, you know, they found him in his bathroom, um, pretty much unconscious, and he was in a coma since then, and uh, wow. passed away. Uh, Sucked him to uh, 
whatever uh, happened to him, unfortunately, uh, over over the last uh, day. So uh, rest in peace to Mishu, man. Yeah, man. A little Amen uh, to that. Hey, Willie. All the elf fans yeah. up there. Yeah, right? Hey, Willie. Also, <laughs> hey, Willie. Mr. Hockey, Gordie Howe, 88 years old, passed away, man. And listen, when, when you think of hockey, three names come to mind, at least for me. Wayne Gretzky, Bobby Orr, Gordie Howe. If there's a Mount Rushmore, those three guys are on there. Not too sure who the fourth one could be. Kind of have a feeling, you know, a couple of names I could throw around, but we're not going to go there right now. But, man, Gordie Howe, man, what a legacy. What an icon that this guy was for hockey, Jeff. Yeah, loved it. Loved Gordie Howe. Uh, didn't get to watch much of him, obviously, uh, for the age thing. But uh loved his son, Mark. Son, Mark, played here in Philly. Another Hall of Famer, excellent member of the Howe family. And to see Gordy play into his 50s and wear the old Hartford Whaler jersey at the end and uh, yes. meant so much to Detroit. And, uh, God, you look at the career, 1946, and you know, and, uh, you know, his early days with uh, bringing up Wayne Gretzky. And, uh, yeah, the Mount Rushmore of hockey is, uh, you know, it's definitely Gordy Howe, like I said, Bobby Orr, Wayne Gretzky, and um, easily Eric Lindros, easily. No. <laughs> Question about that with the first three, Eric Lindros. Eh. I think Scott Stevens has something to say about that. Ouch! That hurt right there. That hurt. But yeah, definitely a Gordy Howe fan. Anything hockey? I'm a huge hockey fan. I love the game of hockey, and to lose Mr. Hockey is tough. I mean, uh, and Mr. Hockey, the great one, and, and Super Mario. I guess when they talk about the three great nicknames, you know. So uh, yeah, it, it stinks. I watched some of his. Uh, Old stuff last night, the tribute during the game, and uh, just a legend, a legend in the history of the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not only has he left his mark on the game with just his phenomenal play um, and, and, and his longevity uh, in the league, also with the Gordie Howe hat trick. Get a goal, record an assist, get into a fight all in one game, and there you go. What a legacy, man. There you go. Um, Rest in peace to the to the great Gordie Howe, Mr. Hockey himself. Thank you for just so many amazing memories. It was uh, kind of funny because the other night uh, last week when we talked about Ali, we're like the biggest, maybe the biggest name in his game is gone, and we said that'd be like losing Jordan. Well, Gordie Howe is like losing Ali. I mean, I agree. Maybe the big, maybe the biggest name in hockey. I agree, absolutely. There's no question about it. All right, man, let's talk a little NHL, NBA, NHL. Pittsburgh Penguins defeated the San Jose Sharks to win the Stanley Cup. Um, don't like it. Not a Penguins fan. Can't stand the Penguins. But I got to give props to Carl Flash, Hagelin, former Ranger. Um, it's nice to see him win a cup. Unfortunately, I wish it was with the Rangers and not the Pittsburgh Penguins. You watch the games, man. How pissed off are you? I hate it. Next story. No, I'm kidding. Um I'm just, well, you listen, know, man, your boy Latang won a cup, so. I cannot stand Latang. Uh, I called him a nickname on Facebook. I'll save uh, off the air here. <laughs> you read it. Um, yeah, just I'm so not a Penguins fan. And uh, But I tell you what, in, in giving credit where credit's due, you, you watch Sidney Crosby, and there's no give up anytime he touches the puck. It's not a dump and chase. It's not a, oh, I'm going to pass it off. The guy goes in, he's looking to create plays every time, and that's the kind of guy you need on your team. I know people call him Cindy and they call him a wuss and all this stuff, but the guy brings it, and that team, they, they were the better team. They got hot at the right time. And, uh, yeah, it still makes me sick, but they got hot at the right time, and they're, they're the champs. we got to deal with that. 
I'd, I'd rather have a vasectomy than talk anything positive about Sidney Crosby. <laughs> I'm sure he's had a vasectomy already. Um, don't even know if you can have one when, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have with a couple of tang nicknames, so you might want to <laughs> yeah. back on this one. We'll, we'll avoid that for right now. Anyway, let's flip it over to the NBA finals. Golden State Warriors up three games to one. Thank God. Hopefully they can close it out tonight in game five, but they will have to do it without Draymond Green as he suspended for game five. Without Green, do you see the Warriors capping it off tonight? I don't see it being a big problem. Um, in the interest of ratings, you know, uh, Cleveland might pull one out. Everybody's like to see him be put out of misery. I'm not a fan of this this team, LeBron, the way he walked away from Miami, he walked away from Cleveland, he walks away from wherever he wants and comes out smelling like a rose nad. I'd rather go with Steph. I know people got a lot of crap to say about Curry and how he's not the best player in the NBA. But, you know, for my money right now, I would pay to see him over any guy in the league and uh, – Let's hope Golden State finishes this out. Let's move on and uh, get baseball in our belts and get ready for some uh, NFL training camp. That's what I'm really going to shine, folks, and give you the heads up. You know, I, I, I don't really know how somebody can go and say Steph Curry isn't the best player in the game right now. The guy hits pretty much everything he puts up. Nobody's stopping him. And he's doing it supposedly on two bad legs and two bad shoulders, which they're hoping to cap it out tonight so he can go for surgery on all four of those things. Absolutely. Um, oh, his defense lacks. His def- if, if you need defense out of a guy like that, you got a problem. You know, if your guy's pumping up shots like that and hitting it from – he's hitting from the concession stand if he wants to, and you're worried about a little bit of defense, then you got a problem with your team. Got more than enough guys that can play D. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I think D lacks in the NBA. And I see guys like LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry – they wouldn't be able to handle NBA 90s. And I'm going to say it right now, and, and I've been saying that for years now, there's no defense in this league. Very, very few defensive players in this league now. You know, when guys are driving to the rim, man, you see everybody just back off because they don't want to get cold for a foul. But if this was the 90s and he was doing this against the likes of Oakley, Mason, Lambeer, Rodman, uh, you name it, these guys would be six, six, seven rows into the stands, man. We've had that talk before, and we'll have this talk again, and uh, it's the debate that I love. Um, NBA 80s, NBA 90s would clobber NBA 2010 and on. Clobber it. There's no way they would run with an 80s team of birds and magic and, and Jordan and guys like that. There's no way they'd run with a 90s team. Um, th- today's guys is just a different ball game. It's uh, layups and three-pointers and dunks. There's no strategy behind it. There's very little defense. It, it just doesn't have what it did. So, yeah, to say Steph Curry's the best player in this generation, I got a problem with that. Yeah, I mean, listen, these guys weren't hitting shots with just a couple of fingers in their face. These guys were hitting shots back in the day with elbows in their throats, elbows in their guts, being held down. Uh, you know, these, uh, man, NBA 90s, NBA 80s, 90s, supreme. That's all I'm going to say. Agreed. 100%. All right, man. Well, I think it's time that we play our interview from last night with our friend and actor, Dominic Pace. So it's about 40 minutes, give or take. Um, Give it a listen, and we'll be back in just a little bit. Jeff, go get a beer. Sounds good. 
Okay, and we're live right now with uh, actor Dominic Pace, a good friend to the show here at The Stoop. Dominic, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Hello from Los Angeles, and uh, and uh, hey to you guys out in Pennsylvania there. Hey, Dom, how are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, obviously just wanted to, uh, before we start, just obviously offer our condolences there to everyone in uh, in Orlando and to... Um, the gay community, of course, uh, obviously such uh, sad news that came out of Florida last night there, and that was really uh, tragic news there. So it was uh, really, really sad to hear. Absolutely. Yeah, it was yeah, really sure. sad. Uh, it's just I don't know what's going on in the world, but hopefully it stops soon, man, because we're having a uh, tough bunch of times over the last bunch of years here with mass shootings, and this is uh, this this takes the cake now, man. This is uh, is now down in history as the worst mass shooting in U.S. history. So uh, Absolutely. You know, I, I just think all we can do, I mean, I, I don't really, I'm not, not a big political or religious guy, is just do the best we can to raise our kids and, and just make sure that obviously we, we give them a better life and uh, to teach them love and respect and, and tolerance and, um, and diplomacy. But uh, obviously uh, pretty sad in terms of uh, the state of the, the country right now in regards to uh, some, uh, the gun violence there. So. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And we all are, you know, and it's got to stop somehow and sometime soon. But, you know, unfortunately uh, there's nothing, uh, you know, just, one person can do. Everybody's got to band together, Dominic, and uh, hopefully we can figure that out somehow soon, man, and we can all stop this together. So, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, let's let's get into a little bit of a uh, you know cheerier, brighter uh, type of uh, interview here, and uh, let's 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 start talking about your career. Uh, you have an impressive list of things going on, but first, I want to ask you uh, about something that you're in the middle of doing right now, uh, which is uh, anonymous killers. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about? Uh, what, what you're doing on that movie. Sure, absolutely. Uh, it's a feature film. It's a short film that I was privileged to have a lead role in about uh, a year and a half ago. We were in uh, a, a soundstage in Las Vegas. Uh, the director, A.R. Hilton, he's from my neck of the woods, Mount Vernon, New York. Uh, it's a sociological thriller, and he was able to get financing for this amazing feature film. Uh, and I play this uh, Italian mob character named Romero Scarinelli, and it's about five killers that come from all different walks of life. And uh, it's just... It, the main main part of the story, it deals with those who come from privilege and those who don't. Uh, it's something that's going to be bigger than the actors. Uh, we're really excited. I'm, I'm confident that obviously Tribeca and Cannes, uh, all the major festivals of 2017, uh, will certainly take a look at it and have it in their festival. Um, but more importantly, really excited to bring this home. This is my first major league role in a, a feature film. And to be able to uh, bring that home in about a month or two when we start filming in Brooklyn uh, just means the world. But 90% complete, just an amazing ensemble. Uh, Nathaniel Gray, I star opposite him, along with uh, four other amazing actors. And, uh, it, it, again, it's just a, a tremendous uh, film that I think is current with the times in terms of those who come from privilege, uh, those who don't. It will question your religion, your politics, um, and, and just really rich roles. You know, it's always great to get a Hollywood role, but also at the same time it's amazing when you have a, a story that's extremely compelling, and A.R. Hilton uh, did just that. So really excited to finish that up there. Yeah, it sounds really good. Um, now, it, it seems you either, you either play a cop or you play this sort of role. Is that just, is that just you know, the way you look, man? <laughs> it, it, it's funny you mention that, actually. Um, it's actually going to be a tough week for me because I have to have a big sit-down with my manager and agent. Um, mm -hmm. We're sort of at a crossroads right now where I've been so happy to be in the big leagues, um, you know, with all these little bit parts. But the most important thing for me is I wouldn't mind dropping down. If you told me tomorrow there's a $100,000 budget in Philadelphia – or in Ohio or Virginia, and, you know, it pays this amount. Uh, you know, I was trained to be an actor, and I, I, I'm so happy to be able to fall into at least one category as an actor in terms of being, you know, the tough guy or the, 
or the you know the thug or the heavy, mm-hmm. but it really is those rich, substantial roles that really. Um, it's the reason I'm still in this business. It's it's really I think the ultimate dream for all the actors uh, out here, a lot of my peers, uh, to be able to have these roles where they're three dimensional. It may not be on the major league scale. It may not be with Warner Brothers or with Universal. But if you're truly an actor, that ultimately is your dream: is to be able to have these characters that are a lot more rich. And I can't tell you, if you told me 20 years ago I would have been on Prison Break and guest starred on NYPD Blue and Desperate Housewives, without question, I, I would have been happy with that. But uh, we, we want to strive for something more. We want to be Dominic Pace, and we want to be able to, to, to stand out from the crowd. And, and I don't mean any harm to anybody. It's just I have bigger dreams than just uh, being a little bit part character actor. So we may have a little bit of friction this week, and, uh, you know, it is what it is. There's, there won't be any hard feelings, but... Uh, it may be time to just kind of uh, set the course in a different direction there. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm sure it's, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, like you said, you're a trained actor. I'm sure you want to play some different parts every now and then, not just be known specifically for that part. A lot of people are happy to be a Gabby Hayes-type character actor, and other people, they want to strive for better. So I, I really don't see no harm in that, and I think that's great. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it really is. You know, I mean, I understand their end of uh, the view. You know, say you – you know, at the big league level, you make $1,200 a day for these smaller parts, and that's outstanding. But for me, again, if you get 125 for the day at SAG, ultra-low budget, uh, I'm just as happy. And, and it's one of those things to where they may be making 10% of that. So, obviously, it may not be something that uh, most agents or manager want to push you in. You know, mm-hmm. they're just happy if they have their 50 clients that are, you know, if they throw five against the wall and one books that $1,200 roll, they're content. But for me, that's not enough. And um, like I said, I can't tell you how fortunate I've been to – to be able to work, but also at the same time, it's time to push it now to the next level, even if that means to drop down to the minor leagues a little bit, but at least have those substantial roles where I'm able to show who I am. Yeah, absolutely. So coming up this week, you're shooting uh, an episode of True Nightmares on Investigation Discovery, the ID channel. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and uh, you know what's going to you know go on with that and what kind of role you're playing in it. Uh, I'm playing Detective Sweeney, and again, it's, you know, it's one of those channels where, again, you're just a little bit down in the minor leagues to a certain extent, but also at the same time, you get a little bit more texture to it. You know, when we were kids, we grew up with uh, Robert Stack, Unsolved Mysteries, and obviously Dateline NBC, um, you know, which is, I think goes to this day. Um, so it's one of those kind of things where they play out these situations that have happened over the past 60 years in crime and forensics. Uh, so it's really going to be a privilege to be a part of this story. I think it deals with a, a Ponzi scheme that happened many years ago. Um, I'm not sure if it was on the West or the East Coast, uh, but I play a detective, and uh, we start shooting on Tuesday, uh, Thursday, and Saturday as well. So, so really excited to be a part of that, and hopefully uh, that'll be the first of many with that uh, that station there. Yeah, that's that, that's really cool. We're definitely looking forward to that, and definitely want to see what happens with that. Uh, so, going through your list of, of of movies and television shows, I mean, you know, you did uh, Little King, Daniel, That's the Way I Like It. You did some guest stints on Days of Our Lives, NYPD Blue. Desperate Housewives, Young and the Restless, and a lot of other things. So far, what has been one of your favorite, or you know, or or a few if you want to go there? What has been some of your favorite roles, and what has been some of your favorite locations that you filmed in? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, as guys, I think we go back to why we started in this business. Of course, it's the craft, but also at the same time, I grew up in a town that's called Austin, New York, and I, I had about 30 kids on my block where we used to have these backyard trails. We used to play cops and robbers and such. Uh, so even though it wasn't very substantial in terms of the script, uh, Prison Break, I got to play this soldier. And uh, I had a few lines, but it, it was really the action itself. You know, I, I'll never forget, I was in a, one of these, uh, uh, you know, uh, current uh, Range Rovers. And they, the director wanted me to go 80 miles an hour. The director's actually asking me, <laughs> paying me to go 80 miles an hour down an airport runway. At the same time, you get what's called squibbed up, you know, where you have these blood packets where you're going to get shot. 
uh, along with having a SIG, you know, and shooting off some blanks. It was just amazing. I was with the main cast of Prison Break, and for me, uh, it's funny because as actors, we have to balance out uh, work and also, uh, you know, obviously our dreams. So I was managing a, a nightclub. I used to work for Ashton Kutcher and Wilmer Valderrama. It was a, a nightclub in Hollywood. It was called the Geisha House. So my boss said, listen, you know, you can get there, uh, but just as long as you close the restaurant, you're fine. So on day two, I literally was dragging, but it was just the adrenaline, the adrenaline rush itself which really just uh, carried me through that day. And, of course, it was just such a dream come true to be able to, uh, to play, uh, you know, to be a, be a kid again. I think ultimately that's what it's about is it's just going back to our childhood and, and uh, bringing out that inner child every now and then. Yeah. So, uh, it's, I, I mean, it, it just, you know, it's got to be epic, though. I mean, you know, you look at General Hospital, you look at Young and the Restless, you look at NYP, but I'm sure these are shows that – well, I mean, if we go with General Hospital, it's been on for so many years, even before, you know, all of us pretty much existed. And, you know, to be able to get a spot on a show like that, is, you know, is it just surreal, you know, when, when it's happening? or yeah. It's a dream come true. You know, I, I come from the Generation X era where we grew up on HBO, you know, and we used yes. to have those films that used to show over and over again. I used to be down in Yonkers, New York, and watch uh, all these HBO films with my sister and my, my awesome cousins and they used to play, you know, Ferris Bueller's Day Off and mm-hmm. E.T. and Rocky Three and all this. So sometimes when you are on that soundstage, I actually just, I was on Warner Brothers' um, lot a couple of days ago, and there was a little facade, which they use in Annie. Um, again, I think they said in Swimming with Sharks with Frank Whaley and Kevin Spacey, uh, it's about memories. And for me, it's whether it's, you know, it's your first kiss with your girlfriend. You know, I remember my, my first girlfriend, we watched Say Anything together, or just that magic uh, to bring you back to childhood. And, and I think we all need that escapism, whether it's through sports, you know, obviously uh, you guys and I, we love baseball, but also through movies itself. And I think ultimately that's what, what really is the motivation to, to, to be a part of that. And, you know, you better believe it. I mean, one of the things with me is uh, even the smallest of roles, if it's one line or two lines, just to be on set or to be amongst some of these legendary actors or these movie stars, it just means the world to me. And, and uh, it's just so nice to be able to have it come to fruition um, over the last couple of years, more and more there. So have you worked with somebody that you just couldn't believe that you were working with? Yeah, and it was second team, to be honest with you. It was very humbling, but also at the same time, it meant the world. And it also was a lesson that anyone in this town who has an ego or is a big shot or thinks they're acting like a big diva, I always draw back from this. In 2002, uh, they just came back from Prague, and it was uh, was Hugh Jackman. And I was second team. I was doubling for uh, Frankenstein. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. It was uh, Stephen Summers directing, and Will Kemp, who I just finished an awesome film with called Midnight Man, which is on Amazon right now, opposite Vinnie Jones and William Forsythe. He played uh, Wolfman, but it was just being amongst Hugh Jackman for about three months, which just was, I can't tell you how inspiring it was. This gentleman, obviously, is one of the biggest movie stars in the world, and his attitude, his personality, each and every day, his level of consistency, professionalism, it didn't matter if you were you were cleaning the toilets in the in the in the trailer, uh, he would come and, and pat you on the back and say hi. And I can't tell you how inspiring that is. Another one, uh, I was just on one of the generic teams of dodgeball. It was just featured extra work. And uh, Vince Vaughn, the same thing. Every single day, he would come to set and he would shake everyone's hand. And uh, to me, that just meant the world. And then in terms of just being Italian-American, being from New York, um, probably one of the biggest uh, inspirations for me has been Chaz Palminteri. Oh, yeah. And, uh, on CBS uh, years ago, it was called Dr. Vegas, and I had the privilege of being with this man who didn't get his break until he was 40 years old uh, for uh, a couple of days, and uh, he just kind of took me through his whole entire life, and uh, we, we email back and forth every now and then. He gives me words of encouragement. I hope to work with him again, uh, and it, again, just coming from the Italian-American culture, 
where so many of our ancestors worked hard and struggled, and it didn't matter, you know, what, what obstacles were in front of them. They, 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 they overcame those adversities. Uh, that really was probably the, the, the biggest uh, tremendous effect, uh, in, impact on, on my, uh, my career there the, mm-hmm. in 2004 there. All right. Let's talk a little bit about The Midnight Man. It's now on Amazon and Voodoo, like you just said. Very impressive list of actors in this, from William Forsythe to Brent Spider to Doug Jones, who I'm just an amazing fan of. I think that guy can do anything. And then you look at Vinnie Jones and whatnot. Uh, tell us a little bit about this movie. Uh, well, first of all, I mean, just in terms of female empowerment and women in film, uh, the executive producer is Brenna Kelly. Mm-hmm. And uh, for young actors listening, uh, this was a short film. I was managing a restaurant full time. I was doing uh, 50 hours a week. And uh, my boss at the time, Jason Ruckert, allowed me to have two days off to do this short film. Well, the film got financing close to half a million dollars. And a lot of times, you know, they have to go with name actors, you know, and, and even for anything, even build as low as 10th or 11th. They have to pick people, whether it's the casting director, whether it's the director, pulled by those who are financing it. Uh, this director, D.C. Hamilton, and, and his beautiful um, partner, Brenna Kelly, they didn't forget about me. Uh, it's, Will Kemp just does an outstanding job. I think it got pretty solid reviews overall. But again, it was just sort of a symbol. I, I started when I was 18 years old um, to fight through all the odd jobs, you know, waiting tables, uh, restaurants, and and nightclubs, I started fragrance modeling in Saks Fifth Avenue. So every time, you know, it's not so much getting a day's pay as a principal actor. It's a reminder of all the hard work that we've gone through to get to that point. So it's not only a great suspense action film, uh, but also at the same time, it's a, a tremendous symbolism for me in terms of the struggle that I've had over the years in order to get to this point. Um, and, and it just means a lot for me. Uh, to me, I, I went back to New York, uh, to my hometown, to go ahead and screen it. I started a scholarship uh, for uh, seniors at the high school that wanted to go on and pursue the arts. And uh, awesome. I, I presented a $500 scholarship in the name of my grandfather oh, uh, before uh, the Perfect. screening a few months ago. And uh, I hope to do it with Anonymous Killers next year as well. Uh, but uh, just a tremendous film. It's on Amazon right now. And um, the director, D.C. Hamilton, if you, if you have Facebook, uh, just to follow him or Brenna Kelly, B-R-I-N-N-A Kelly, her Facebook page. Uh, both of them are really up-and-coming uh, producers and directors and I really look forward to working with them again. It's a, it's a real good, exciting film, and especially for a half-a-million-dollar budget, that's really hard to do to, um, to be able to, um, to portray that, that action at such a low budget. They did an amazing job. Yeah, no, that sounds really good. Looking forward to checking that out. Now, let me ask you this question. I'm going to go a little bit off-topic here because we talk about this a lot here in the Stoop, um, and I'm sure Jeff will chime in on this. Um, you know, the whole remakes of movies going on over the oh. uh, last few years, <laughs> um, you know, to us, we believe that the genuine, unique ideas now are pretty much in the low-budget films and in the independent scene. Uh, it seems all the big movie has are just going for remakes that, I, you know, I don't know if they're losing out on ideas or they just can't come up with something fresh. Um, you know, from you being in, you know, in the lower-budget stuff like this movie, um, you know, why aren't the big houses going with the original ideas anymore? You know, they have to play it safe. Uh, people aren't going to the movies anymore. I understand, but uh, it's so funny. I have a friend on Facebook where she tags me in every remake article, and we're <laughs> both to sit there and roll our eyes. Because to me, especially as an artist, um, I, I feel like it's an insult to Patrick Swayze. It's an insult to Robin Williams, to John Travolta, uh, to people who created these roles. And now where it gets really, really iffy, uh, women are making such, an, a tremendous, uh, such a tremendous amount of progress in Hollywood. And I think that Ghostbusters kind of, it probably was the worst idea you can imagine because it's Thank nothing you. against the progression of women. But yes. you take these four mm-hmm. incredible lead actors, these male actors who did such a phenomenal job and created such a legendary piece. 
And for me, in terms of women, if you want to get your voice in Hollywood, uh, which they're doing just an amazing job of, just I, I would probably try to stay away from remakes in terms of reversing the sex. Uh, again, I'm sure, you know, I, I wish it all the best, but at the same time, you know, now we're talking about a Goonies sequel. I mean, you're just waiting to hear about a Ferris Bueller sequel. They're talking about Jumanji now. I, I feel like ultimately it's disrespectful to the artists that came before them. Um, but again, I think the studios are so scared because they're, they're losing out on so much money. Uh, we're obviously, uh, there's so much new media where people are staying home. So they're trying to go with what's safe. And Sometimes it works. I took my son to see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, and in a way, it's, I think it's a compliment to our generation on how everything, even my kids, when we're at home, they want to watch Spaceballs. They want to watch Major League. <laughs> Bears, because stuff. there is no content now. Um, but the great news is, in terms of the new media uh, or the lower budget films, you do have that chance to go ahead and take that risk because obviously yeah. you're not playing with fire with a major 50 to $100 million budget. But I think for just the you know the avid movie fan, I, there's one page that I like on Facebook. It's called the Radical 80s, or I love the 80s. It, it's frustrating with every post that come up because you just realize how diluted Hollywood has become. You know, it's like where are the John Hughes movies? Where are the John Cusack movies? Uh, it, it's frustrating. Uh, I think for the um, for again the avid movie fan to go ahead and you know you're sitting there and just watching this this ho hum uh, regurgitated crap most of the time. Yeah, yeah, and and, and it's funny because we you know. Like I said, Jeff and I have spoken about this so many times on the stoop here. And, uh, you know, there's so many great books out there that are just hurting to be made into a movie. Yet instead of doing that, let's remake Ghostbusters. And now they're talking about remaking Mary Poppins with Emily Blunt and Lin-Manuel Miranda from Hamilton. And it's, it's like – It's such a slap in the face. I will tell you, though, there yeah. are still some, some artists out there that still are able to get the green light. I don't think it's against the director's – you know, you talk about media, you talk about the Kardashians. The problem is, I mean, what's really sad, and I hate to slap ourselves in the face, but it's a reflection of society. I mean, Hollywood is, they're not dumb. I mean, they know what they're doing. Uh, but in many ways, it's a reflection of society to where do they want to see those thought-provoking films? I know I, I do. I know that you do. And I know, obviously, a lot of moviegoers do. The, the one good thing is that the content is still out there. Alexander Payne, he has done so many amazing projects. Uh, Nebraska, uh, Citizen Ruth. Yes. Uh, Yes. You know, uh, about Schmidt, I mean, the list goes on and on. Election, he's got one called Downsizing. And, uh, again, you have to do a little bit more homework in terms of figuring out which ones are going to be good, which ones are going to be bad. But this one stars Matt Damon. I automatically thought it was just going to be about some kind of white-collar, uh, you know, crime or something like that, or in, or in terms of just a, an office space type of uh, comedy. Um, but it's one of those uh, projects that's a little bit more thought-provoking. I, I can't give away the... Uh, the complete synopsis there, but but I think they are still out there. It's just frustrating that they're not in, in more bulk so that when you can just throw a dart at a Hollywood screen, uh, you're able to see something that's obviously quality and you don't feel like you just got ripped off. Yeah, no, it's um, I'm glad you feel that way because we've been talking about it. We wanted to bring it up to one of the actors or actresses that we've had on here, and we would say, you know what, let's talk to Dominic about that and see where he goes. And I'm glad that you said that and you just didn't say, oh, no, you know, I think it's great that they do remakes because I think it's absolutely horrible. I Listen, you know, it really depends on what kind of movie, but, you know, remake after remake. Listen, I hated The Fright Night. Total Recall was awful. Uh, you know, and from there, I really can't. You know, watch it. Listen, when they redid Arthur with Russell Brand, to oh, me, right. I I don't I don't know how Dudley Moore didn't roll over in his casket. I, I'm with you 100. percent You know, I mean, I, I, Jonathan, I don't know if it's you that's the fan of movie locations or, or Jeff, but uh, you know, I, I have such a high respect for these people. I, I, I you know I had a couple of articles. One was on Yahoo in Yahoo Mail. Um, mm -hmm. 
Yahoo Travel and then one was in the Daily Mail. But just I've been taking my kids along. I, I feel like this is almost sacred ground, what some of these people have laid out uh, as far as, you know, the Goonies or Stand By Me, that it just it shouldn't be touched at all. Um, again, it's just it's very frustrating. Um, you know, you just think of media in general, if, if they are trying to melt our brains, even you know, they just had something in ter- uh, on, on one of the Facebook feeds that He-Man, where as cheesy as that sounds, it actually had some kind of a message for us when we were kids, even Little House in the Prairie. And, you yes. know, every now and then, if you have kids, you know, you look over and they'll be flipping around, they'll turn on Cartoon Network. It's almost just this mindless entertainment where there is nothing thought-provoking at all. And you just wonder if society in general, you know, whether the politicians or government just want to turn our children and turn us into machines where there is, you know, we, we don't have that creative side to us. Maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe there's a big conspiracy. I don't want to say put my hand on it because obviously uh, I don't like to get involved with politics or religion. But also at the same time, you just you, you just wonder why, because obviously when we were kids, we were so amused and so entertained by such amazing content that this town put out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go back. You know, let's talk about the locations like you were just talking about. Uh, you did a lot of traveling with your family uh, was, re- you know, basically reading a piece about what you guys were doing. You were going and looking at some iconic, iconic locations of movies and television shows where you know you were doing rebel without a cause and you were just recreating that scene with your son and you went to the gymnasium where they filmed the karate kid and you did the field of dreams you know field why did you do that and how did it feel doing that because these are some amazing locations you went to I, I think it's a couple of reasons. One in particular, obviously, just being such a fan of film. I, I came home one day, and uh, I saw one of my sons looking at the iPad, and the other one was just kind of glued to the TV. And I told my wife, I said, you know, let's go up to Griffith Park. And I, as geeky and as cheesy as it was, I said, let's let's just start an album, you know. And the, the one great thing is there's a lot of people who have these hobbies, especially in L.A. or New York or Chicago. There's so many great John Hughes films that are filmed there. Um, so we just decided, to, you know, one week, each week, we would do a different location. And it just kind of stemmed on from there where, especially now, I mean, you know, I'm guilty myself of being buried in my phone to where, you know, it's everything from social media to also sure. answering emails and, and texts and everything else yeah. um, to where you rarely have that quality time with your kids. I always joke around because obviously once I had my girlfriend, I didn't want to see my mom or my sister. I just wanted to be with my guy friends and my, my girlfriend. Um, so the whole thing is to try to get it all in now before they're rolling their eyes uh, beyond belief. I, I, it's so funny because I actually told my son, it was kind of that Chevy Chase moment of vacation where I said, you know, why don't we, why don't we hop in the car and we'll head to St. Louis. We'll knock off the stadium. And, and already it's getting to a point where I think they're kind of over it. But I, I was so happy, you know, I, I call it the reverse life insurance policy. I was so happy to be able to have so many years with them to where we've been able to, uh, to just have so many uh, amazing and unique experiences. For the 10th anniversary, uh, my wife and I, we decided to go up to Oregon and I love uh, Goonies and Stand By Me. Those were two of my favorite oh, yeah. films. And you can find both uh, locations in that state, which is just such a beautiful state, by the way, also, if you mm-hmm. haven't visited. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll actually be going there in August, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing Goonie Rock. So. Yeah, if your lady loves Pinot Noir, it, it literally is uh, one of the best, I think, in the country, uh, if not the world. Uh, they, they're really uh, well-known for their Pinot Noir there and their whole coastline there. And, of course, the Cannon Beach, it's so magical not only because of Goonies, but it's just uh, such a romantic uh, little setting back there. Yeah. Well, my wife lived there for quite a few years, so I hear about it all the time, how beautiful Oregon is, how beautiful Washington State is, and it'll be nice to get out there for the first time for me uh, in in uh, August. With Stand By Me, it's about, I want to say, about 30 minutes away from Eugene, Oregon, and there's a beautiful, uh, sweet woman who's the head of 
Chamber of Commerce. Her name is Linda McCormick. She's been a fan for many years. And uh, she, she welcomed my wife and I with open arms. But one of the great things about that town is that it really has kept its charm of Stand By Me. For any Stand By Me fans, uh, the town is called Brownsville, Oregon. And that, at least for right now, with the exception of a few John Hughes spots uh, in northern Chicago, has been my favorite because you really feel like you're immersed in the movie again. And, it, and it's, it's beautiful and it's also sad at the same time because, you know, obviously you remember the late River Phoenix. Yeah. And also at the same yeah. time, it, it, I was the same age as the boys. You know, it was Generation X. So... Just like the town is sort of quiet, and, and, you know, when I go back home to my hometown, you know, I go to my street and it's sort of quiet, you know, you're just kind of uh, left with the memories of childhood, you know, where obviously we all move on and, you know, some of us us pass away and some of us uh, go on to all, you know, bigger and better things. But uh, it was quite an emotional experience, especially to go to um, where they had the treehouse there. It was really uh, quite an experience. That's cool. That's cool. Well, you ran up the steps in Philly, too, and recreated the Rocky scene. Um, Was Philly not one of your favorite spots? Uh, <laughs> you know, got to get it in there. He's always got to get it in there. Yes, I have to. Well, I got to tell you, you guys got to stop with the curveball of Geno's and Pat's because what a lot of people from out of town they just they end up going to Geno's and Pat's and it's not the best cheesesteak. I, I was really let down with that, and that was probably the most disappointing thing uh, about Philly. Um, but I'll tell you, with the Rocky locations, uh, no mixed jam, every all of that. But I'll tell you. I would, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't looking over my shoulder every two seconds because uh, it, it obviously isn't the greatest area on earth there. <laughs> and this is from a guy from New York City. Man. Right. Hey. I know, right? I'm starting to hey, you know, yeah. it's, so, it's so funny with Mixed Jim. It was like, all right, kids, get in the car. Get in the car. Let's go. You know, it's, uh, we got the picture. Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. You know. and, here's, and here's actor Dominic Pace renting a Brinks security truck to take his family around Philadelphia. Exactly. I'm going to do the uh, Rocky scene in 10 seconds. We're going to get the hell out of, ta- out of Dodge. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I, I was just in St. Louis, and I'm, I'm such a fan of baseball. And, and um, in the 60s and before, uh, the Cardinals played before Bush, Bush Stadium. They played at a place called uh, Sportsman Park. Yes. So, obviously, being part of diverse New York and diverse Los Angeles, I'm like, yeah, let me just take a walk over there from downtown. So I did, and I'll tell you, man, you know, after about a few blocks, I was like, you know, Italians, you know, I feel like we can roll with anybody. But I, I got to a point to where I'm like, you know, maybe I should call a cab, and they didn't have Uber or Lyft. So I was I was sitting at a street corner for about 15 minutes just praying, you know. I was like, God, <laughs> this might have been a little bit more than I could have uh, chewed there. Oh, that's funny. Let's get into a little baseball talk. You're from uh, the White Plains area. I'm from Queens. Yeah. We weren't that far from each other. Uh, we're both huge New York Mets fans. So, Absolutely. of course, we got to talk a little bit of Mets baseball. Uh, let's talk about the current Mets right now, sitting at 34-28. and 28. Uh, Lost again 5-3 today to the Brewers. They seem to just not be doing things the right way. Um, you know, they picked up James Loney, first base. He had one home run since he's been here. Yeah. And, you know, so... What's going on with our Mets, man? Well, I got to tell you, I mean, you know, the thing is, and this is why I think even as an actor, if you come on the scene, to stay humble. You know, the whole Matt Harvey thing where all of a sudden we're doing photo shoots and we're going to nightclubs and this and that. I mean, I, I was really disappointed with that because it's like, listen, you're going through a slump, it's fine. But once you start making comparisons to one of the greatest of all time, Derek Jeter, and kind of, you know, handing, getting the, the key to the city handed to you, that, yes. that's got to mess with your ego a little bit. And I think that's what we're seeing a little bit now. Um, He's got to get back on track. I think he's just the X factor in terms of getting them uh, uh, to be able to compete with Washington and, of course, Chicago uh, when, when they hit the playoffs. Uh, but um, I, I think really Harvey, uh, once he, he kind of puts it together and obviously gets those bats going a little bit, I thought Loney was a tremendous pickup. Um, but more importantly, thoughts uh, to David Wright. Hopefully this isn't the end of his career, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to see a lot more years of him. I mean, what a, what a class act this man has been for so many years there. 
Oh yeah, and 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 you know what sucks is that he pretty much wasted his prime on some terrible Mets teams. Yeah, yeah, it, it's sad. I mean, you know, it, but you know what? You know, you talk about the dilution of Hollywood. I mean, it's the same with sports, and it's so yeah. great to see. Even though, you know, say George Brett or Tony Gwynn or the Wade Boggs, I mean, even though Wade came over to, to the Yankees and down to Tampa, you know, you don't see that anymore. And, and I think it's just so great for baseball to see those players stick it out with one team, uh, you know, because, again, it's just even, you know, when you buy the jersey, I, I think the joke is now you just wait until they're, they're retired to buy their jersey because you just don't know where they're going to be. There's no more uh, Jeters like that, you know. Yeah, sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I remember when, uh, you know, Robin Ventura and John Olrud, and we had that great 2000 Mets team going on, yeah. and they had that one season where they had no names on the back of their jerseys. Yeah. I went out and bought a Robin Ventura jersey because I knew once he was gone, there's going to be a lot of other, other players wearing number four. Yeah, it's it's sad, you know, and it's nothing yeah. like when we were kids, and that's why, I mean, no. I guess the only positive part to it is it just makes 86 so much more magical. I don't know how old you guys were when, when uh, obviously, that, that magical year happened. But oh, we experienced me, it, yeah. Yeah, I, I was 10 years old. I used to listen on WFAN. My, my grandfather didn't have Sports Channel. We used to listen on WFAN yeah. and, and WWR and uh, Ralph Kiner and, and Tim McCarver. It was just uh, so many magical memories. I always uh, compare those guys to, to my superheroes, you know, and I think even now with, obviously, all the, you know, that book, The Bad Guys Won, to where they have kind of that bad boy mentality, uh, it, for me, it just makes it all the more magical. You know, none of us are perfect. We all have flaws. We all have sinned in one way or another. Uh, so I think for me, it just makes them even more iconic that they were, that, you know, I heard all the stories of, what was that, when they flew back from uh, Houston to, to go to New York. I guess they, they created about $30,000 in damage to the, to the plane. Frank Cashin had to dish that out there for yes. them. Yes, yes. Uh, Jeff Perlman wrote the bad, um, you know, when the bad guys won. Good yeah. friend of ours here on the show. He's been here a couple of times. Um, phenomenal book. Uh, it, it's it's so funny when. Listen now, let me ask you this: being a Mets fan, and then we're going to get into some uh, Mets Phillies rivalry here, and we'll trash Jeff a little bit in a, no. in a couple of seconds. But uh, <laughs> but let me ask you this: '86 Mets. You were ten. I was just a few years younger than you. I remember it wholeheartedly. I felt like in those days with that '86 team. It was just, it was just fun from beginning to end. I remember when the, you know, it would rain, they'd roll the tarps out, and you'd see Gary Carter and Strawberry and everybody just running out into the field and using it as a slip and slide. Yes. Now I feel like even today, kids don't really yeah. hold these guys as, as as heroes like we did when we were kids. Well, it's such a shame, too, because now even, I mean, listen, I'm a middle-class actor, and, and it's like, you know, I mean, the prices have gotten astronomical. So, and, and even now with all these TV deals, it's harder for kids to pay attention. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that's kind of an issue, too, is that dad can't take, you know, the, the kids to the game six to, to ten times a year now, you know. So I think that sort of dilutes it. But, yeah, I mean, you talk about the cast of characters and, of course, the level of diversity which represents New York. You know, you got Fernandez from Hawaii. you got, uh, what was it, Rafael Santana from the yes. Dominican. You know, you had such a great, diverse group of, of, of characters and Roger McDowell and, and Dykstra, you know, and, and Backman. It, it was just in Mazzilli, you know, representing the Paisans. It, it, it was so magical uh, uh, back then, absolutely. And again, you can get you can get in for five bucks with your Cons Frank hot dog, you know, and you were able to sit down. <laughs> you know, when they when yep. they just opened Yankee Stadium, it was like it was ridiculous. I took the kids there last year, and it just doesn't feel like a game anymore. You know, I'm, I'm looking to my left. I'm in my shorts and a, a Yankee. You know, I, I wear the team colors. I know I'm not, I'm not as crazy. You guys, God bless you. You wear the Met colors down in Philly, but I wear the team colors. It's just kind of like my my little tradition. But I'm looking to my left, and there's somebody cutting into a filet mignon. 
You know, and it's just like it, oh, it, it's all for the corporations now. You know, it's not like the real New Yorkers where they used to scream and yell. Now, I mean, you'll be kicked out of the game just for uh, for heckling it a little bit. You know, uh, yeah. I, it's, I mean, obviously, it's unacceptable. Obviously, you got kids around, but but you can't even heckle anymore. You know, all this political correctness, I think, which has kind of changed the character of the game as well. You know, I don't know. And I felt like as a kid. And, Jeff, I'm going to ask you this one, man. Uh, you know, you went to lots of Phillies games growing up, and you've lived in Philly your whole life. I remember going to Mets games. I remember going to Knicks games, Rangers games, Jets games, and whatnot as a kid. And hearing people heckle, that made me see a whole new atmosphere of sports that you didn't see on TV. Now, when you were a kid going to the Phillies games up here in Philadelphia, what was that like? Was it as bad as it is now? It was horrible. I mean, uh, out-of-town guys, we were, I remember – me and my brother were always talk about it. Uh, a guy used to sit right behind us. He used to always call Enos Cabell. And it was always, Cabell, you bum. And every time Cabell would come to town, he would get ripped. And they would say to Mike Schmidt, hey, Schmidt, he hit it with your wallet. And he was making like a million bucks. So even the great guys like Schmidt, man, on an off night used to get it. Nowadays, yeah, you got to be so timid. And I laughed when Dom said the filet mignon thing because uh went to the game last year, the Phillies in their Hall of Fame club, and people were eating, eating Cornish hen. I mean, Cornish hen at a yeah. baseball game, it's... It's ridiculous. It's, it's crazy. Such a you, different you know, life now. I mean, if they have the casual food, you know, in, in Pittsburgh, you can't beat that Permanente Brothers sandwich. You're obviously, you know, in Philly with the cheesesteak. But, yeah, once you sure. start getting to sushi there, I mean, you've you got to be kidding me. We're talking about <laughs> baseball still, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, and it, it's just ridiculous. And, again, I mean, just the prices, the poor, you know, the middle-class dad, it's like, you, you, you know, you got to be up in the nosebleeds. I took my boys. We were probably three rows from the upper deck at Yankee Stadium. It was $40 a head. It was $35 to park. I mean, it's crazy. And, and again, like I said, you know, I, you can't stress enough, especially with all the social media now and, and all the technology we have, to be able to get the kids out to the playground and also out to the ball field uh, as much Absolutely. as you can. And not to mention just the bonding time that you have with your kids as well sure. uh, through sports. You know? Well, you know what? And that's why the minor leagues are still the best, man. You're going to yeah. go. You're going to pay – $20 to get in for a family of four. You're going to have your hot dogs, your sausage and peppers, and your Coke and your beer. Exactly. That's it. And you're going to see a damn good game of guys that basically their heads aren't stuck up their asses yet. And, and get a great Absolutely. view. Get a great view, I have, too. Um, yep. I've, been hit, I've been hitting all the baseball stadiums all over the country. I have six left. And the best so far, I was fortunate to take my mom in 2000 and I want to say six or seven before they started doing all the upgrades. And, I mean, God bless uh, Chicago, the Cubs. Now they have a, a competitive team, and I'm sure it's from some of the added revenue. But there was nothing like going to that game. It was a game in May, and it, uh, uh, Zambrano was on the mound. And yet you had a four-piece band. All you heard was the four-piece band, these old gentlemen that were playing the saxophone and the, and the clarinet. And you heard the sound of the game, the smell of the beer. And, and you can't beat that. It's like now yeah. they're throwing so much technology in your face as well to where they don't even give you a split second to come up for air to, to enjoy the game, you know? No, no, no. Yeah. It's, 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 it's real different. Like you said earlier, too, you know, uh, when I watch a Knicks game, right, you know, I used to do some work for the Rangers, and I'd watch Rangers games, you know, all the people up front, they're not Rangers fans, man. They're not Knicks fans. They're not Mets fans. They got free tickets from one yeah. of their companies that they deal with, and they're just going out just to go out on a Friday night. Now, and, and, you know, the other thing is my son, he breaks my heart because they have what's called the dugout club, as they do here, you know, at probably every stadium. They go for $500 a ticket, you know, to get down there now. And I was even checking in San Diego. I mean, you can get one for 90 You can get one maybe for 160 but $500 a ticket, I mean, it's just, you know, I'm, listen, I'm not a socialist by any means, but sometimes the capitalism, when you're paying $14 for a beer, it's like you've got to be kidding me. 25 you know, they add the, uh, an extra $5 a year on the parking now, which I think is absolutely crazy, you know. Listen, when it comes to the kids, 
I feel like they should be able to get on the field, visit some of the players, and visit the dugouts for absolutely nothing. I'm sorry, but that sets up kids for a lot more success. And I feel like that's why there's more successful people coming out of our generation than you see these kids now because their heads are stuck on computers. They're stuck in the phones, into the video games. They don't know how it feels to go out to a game and meet a player and get a bowl signed and you know just be shown a stadium or an arena – and I feel that's one of the big things that we're lacking in today's society, man. I, I agree with you, Jonathan. You know, I, I think one of the great things, though, is how amazing is it, though, to see some of these movie stars or these, um, you know, to see some of the uh, the athletes step up to their community, though. I mean, I think it really does uh, single those guys out who have their own charities and stuff that, that really yes. go above and beyond. I always say, you know, it's obviously it's great to be famous in terms of the fact that we can work steadily as actors or, or athletes or musicians, uh, but I think the greatest impact you can have is to be able to make that difference, and, and you can do it at any level. You know, you can be a school teacher in a, a small town to be able to make that difference, but but how beautiful is it? You know, I, I, I go back to Chris Pratt and Chris Evans, who, you know, at least in the Hollywood world, who went over to uh, some of the children's hospitals. In yes. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just so great, and, and again, when you see athletes do that, too, uh, uh, you know, to be able to put a smile on a kid's face, uh, to me, that, that's, that's uh, as priceless as it gets, and that's where the real money comes from, you know? Yeah, unfortunately, it's uh, too far, you know, in between sometimes, you yeah, know. And it's, a lot of greed, it's, yeah, a lot of greed and a lot of sense of entitlement and a lot of spoiled people. I, I see it a lot in this town, but again, you know, I, I, I hate to sing a lot the East Coast mentality, but I think when we were growing up, you know, we got a swift kick in the ass. Uh, I, I owe a lot of uh, credit to my hometown, Austin, New York, to where, um, you know, we were all raised with just kind of uh, some mental toughness, you know, and, and, and we we were taught respect at a very early age, and, and I think it's great to obviously pass that down to kids as well no matter what uh, part of the country you live in but i always feel like the east coast has that kind of level of groundedness uh for being out here for the past 18 years i find myself being a little bit more connected to a lot of people who have uh have uh came over from uh from the east coast there whether it's philly new york cleveland or chicago there all right uh before we let you go i gotta ask you this man uh let's go back to your acting career here um you've played some big roles you've played some small roles you've played in some you know secondary roles and you know, there are some big things that you did. So let's throw this out there. Young actors, young actresses, struggling actors, struggling actresses. Maybe they're sitting here listening to our show um, tonight and they're thinking to themselves, you know, I think I'm going to get out of acting and, you know, do something different. Um, What's some of your advice, um, you you know, that you can take and, you know, hand to them? If that crosses your mind, then yes, you should. Uh, Because the thing, what I always say is that, this, you know, on Wednesday I'm filming something with two of my friends, and I'm doing it because I love it so much. And if you have any other reason to become an actor, then you shouldn't be doing it. Um, mm-hmm. you, it has to be a passion. It has to be something to where, you know, I was up in Alaska last year. I've done every odd job you can think of in order to just keep connect the dots. Um, and these fishermen, even if they're not making money, it's like you can see the pride when they're webbing their nets. You can see the amount of pride they take in their boat. And it's the same thing as actors, you know, and that obviously, I believe, translates to the screen when you get that role that you deserve. Um, it has to come from within. So if you have those doubts, uh, I know there's some people where they talk, you know, well, uh, well, how much is it paying? If you ask yourself tomorrow, you know, somebody came, hey, Dom, you know, listen, I've got this amazing role that's three-dimensional. It doesn't pay much. Um, but you're going to be able to get some amazing screen time, and uh, we're going with a group of friends. If you're not jumping at that chance, then you should definitely ask yourself whether you want to do this business or not, because, again, it has to be for the love of it. Uh, there's 98% of us. You know, there's only 2% that really get that break and make, make the living. Um, yeah. There's 98% of us, again, over these years, uh, every job, every experience has to be treated as a privilege. And if you don't feel appreciative 
And if you don't feel like you're a kid in a candy store, you know, one of my first things is a featured bit in For Love of the Game with Kevin Costner. I got to be at Yankee Stadium for one month. I was in heaven. And, and I will never forget that moment, uh, you know, to be able to step on the field and have a catch with, with Kevin Costner. But even at a smaller level, uh, just being on set, if you don't feel that adrenaline rush, then, then you should definitely ask yourself that. Um, but if you do, um, I can't recommend enough staying close to a lot of these universities, whether you're on the East Coast or the West Coast, Columbia, NYU, USC, uh, Los Angeles Film School, UCLA, to stay with these directors of tomorrow because I, I've been fortunate enough to, uh, to have some of those directors remember me. And, uh, you know, as much as your agent gets you in for those 30 to 1 odds on the auditions, the most important thing is about relationships and, and going ahead and overextending yourself and trying to, um, to let people know that you're passionate about working and, uh, and the fact that you love it so much. Hmm. Agreed. We, uh, me and John talk about that all the time on the show here every week. Uh, we don't rake in tons of money doing it, but we love the opportunity. Uh, meet guys like yourself, Dominic, and your great career, and hear your stories, and the musicians, and the other actors we get on here. It's for the love of it, man. And, uh, yeah, if somebody turned around tomorrow and said, hey, we'll give you 100 grand, terrific. If they don't, and they well, say, hey, we'll give you a couple bucks, I still love doing it. And, you know, doing it for and, the love is what it's all about. And, again, it's a catch-22. Um, the other thing is, you know, I used to manage restaurants and nightclubs, and I used to tell some of the waiters, the same amount of passion that you take with your odd jobs is the same that you're going to have with what it is that you love doing. So sure. you take those odd jobs. I mean, that's sort of the sacrifice. But to really take a lot of pride in it, no matter what you do, to never hold your head low, uh, no matter how humble the job is, because obviously you have an ultimate plan. You know, certainly, again, being 40 and being married and having kids, a lot of my, my old friends, they moved on and they have these big suburban houses. And, of course, at times it's humbling. But also at the same time, uh, it's a different level of character in terms of, uh, of doing some of these odd jobs, because obviously we have a much bigger plan there and uh, I'm very excited where we're heading there. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, Dominic, man, seriously, I want to thank you so much for taking your time tonight here on a Sunday night to join us for a pre-recorded interview for our uh, show t- tomorrow night, which, if you're listening right now, it's tonight. Um, <laughs> really, really, really awesome of you to join us, and uh, we'd love to have you back in the future, man, so we can talk more about the exciting career that you're leading, and uh, hopefully when uh, you're on the, you know, the big screens, man, and you're making the millions upon millions of dollars, you remember us and you come back, man. Amen. Oh, please. Without question. Jonathan, Jeff, thank you so much. And if I'm ever out in Pennsylvania, uh, it would be great to uh, grab lunch or grab a beer there. Absolutely, man. Keep yeah. us in mind. We're down for that. We'll get you a real cheesesteak, too. We'll get you the best cheesesteak in town, guaranteed. What's the name of that street? What, uh, South Street, is that where they say the best cheesesteak is? Jim's on South Street or uh, Northeast Philadelphia has uh, Steve's Steak. So you, if you get into town, uh, hit us up. We'll get you there. We'll get you to the right place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you so much. And, and uh, wishing you yeah. a great uh, Sunday evening. Thank you, Dominic. Have a great night, man. Great. Thank you, you too. Thank you. All right. That was actor Dominic Pace, our interview from last night. We had a really good time with him, Jeff. Yeah, good guy. A lot of fun things to say and uh, very uh, charismatic. He really uh, owns the mic and um, he likes to talk. We'd love to have him. Really good stories. Good stuff. Yeah, looking forward to his uh, next roles upcoming. Uh, Like I said, man, I can see uh, him. He's He's got the image. He's got the personality. Uh, this guy is going to be big one day, uh, whether it's in a movie or uh, on a television show. You know, uh, he's getting those breaks now, um, you know, with some of the smaller uh, independent films. But he's going to get that break eventually, man. You know, uh, he deserves it, and it's going to be great to see him on our television weekly, um, hopefully in a TV show. Be good stuff, man. Then we'll get him back on here on The Stoop. So thank you, Dominic, uh, for joining us last night um, due to your busy schedule. And uh, we got to get him back on, man. Good times, man. And he loves Philly. 
Yeah, Lo- who doesn't love Philly? <laughs> so far, Philly's been trashed on the show by you, uh, Sean Hennessy, uh, Dominic. <laughs> Poor Philly, man. Poor Philly. It's just, it's so charismatic, Philly. <laughs> it sure is. It's, it's, it's charismatic. It's full of characters. It's something else. It's uh, Landon Stone. You know, they used to say, if I can make it there, I can make it anywhere about New York. If you can survive here, you can survive anywhere. So. Uh, that's 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 not nothing to boast about, man. <laughs> that's why, if you notice, the Stoop Studios is located in beautiful downtown Langhorn, Pennsylvania. Out of oh. Yeah, right. Hey, but if anybody wants to pay us, we'll be glad to uh, bring it to Philly. So. Hey, absolutely. <laughs> no question That's about impressive. that. All right, man. So uh, great show tonight. Let's talk about some of our upcoming guests. Next Monday, June 20th, we're going to be joined by our good friend, former guest musician Ed Roman. Uh, going to talk about his newest album, Red Omen, that was just released about two weeks ago. And we're going to listen to some music from that as well. Uh, June 27th, actress Deborah Foreman from Valley Girl, yeah. My Chauffeur, and Real Genius. I know you're excited about this one, Jeff. Love it. That is right up my alley. That's a, another great 80s one. We had Nancy Vallon in the past. Now Deborah Foreman. That, that's great, man. Looking forward to that. Yes, and we also have some uh, incredible guests coming up in July and August, really working on a lot of things here. Uh, one we can tell you about, which you already mentioned, is actress Diane Franklin from Better Off Dead. The Last American Virgin, and of course, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. She'll be joining us on uh, July 25th is when she'll be joining us. I had June written here like a moron, but it'll be July 25th. Yes, Monique from Better Off Dead, the one who wanted, pretty much made every guy want a French girl, man. No, absolutely. She had it, especially when she was uh, nailing the stop sign with the um, baseball. Yes, yes, and fixing cars too, man. I mean, she was the uh, the ultimate girl. Oh yeah, love it, love it. Yeah, I wonder if Diane will do the French accent for us. Hmm, gonna have to ask her about that. It's not a bad idea. I like that. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, we you know we just want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in here on a uh, weekly basis, and uh, coming into July, we're going to be returning. Two nights a week, Mondays, Thursday nights. Jeff's excited. He's got the bathroom dance going on right about now. <laughs> BB dance. I got to play that song for you sometime. It's what, a the band BB called dance Gob. It's a band called Gob, G O B. They had a couple decent uh, songs. They got a song called The PP Dance. And one of these days I'll run it past you. <laughs> the PP Dance. <laughs> oh, man. And once again. Once again, beer. we do something about pee-pee here. Yeah, of course. Vagina right. beer, pee-pee. We got a lot. <laughs> All right, we also want to uh, apologize um, because Blog Talk Radio pretty much sucks the uh, sucks the cheese sometimes, and tonight we couldn't connect the right way, and I'm sure we're having some sound issues, and it's probably not sounding right. But it is what it is, and we still go on, and we still do the show, and we have a good time doing it. So once again, thank you, Dominic Pace, for joining us. Uh, great, great interview with him. Next week, musician Ed Roman, June 20th, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on The Stoop. And as always, please check us out at www.stoopradio.com, where you can find our Facebook, Twitter accounts. Follow us there, as well as our Instagram. And also, what you could do there is listen to all of our interviews, past, present, 
but not future because we're not Bill and Ted. But it would be great if we could do that. Uh, so for my buddy Jeff the Shark Perini, I am Jonathan Riggs. We'll see you all next Monday with Ed Roman. TGIM, folks. Have a great night.